Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a 40-minute conversation, sometimes it's 30, sometimes it's 50, honey, we never really know, with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by the president of Emily's List, Stephanie Shriok, where we discuss the future of government and Emily's List's mission to elect pro-choice Democratic women. Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. Welcome to the program, Stephanie Shriok, the president of Emily's List, which if we were doing like a log line of Emily's List, like the TV show, like Emily's List, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, like what would that da-da-da-da-da-da-da be? The nation's largest, most powerful organization for women in politics. I love that log line. So how did Emily's List like come to fruition? Like what, like how did it all get started? It is really Fabulous story. So our founder, Ellen Malcolm, and a bunch of girlfriends in 1985 uh, got together because they were so angry that, well, one, no woman, no Democratic woman, I should say, had won a seat in the U.S. Senate in her own right ever, ever, 1980, not 1885, 1985. A woman had never won a Senate Senate seat. A Democratic woman in her own right, which meant there had been a few had served. Because, because they their, were appointed or something? Because their husbands had died. Which was... Oh, Which happens. Well, that, I happened, mean, in happens that happened sometimes. in Missouri, too, when I was like... That happened in Missouri when I was like in yeah, junior oh, high. Oh, yes, it did. Yeah, that was... Oh, yeah. Jim Carney. Yeah, much sad, government. much sad. That was very sad Very story. sad, yeah. It was a whole other story. Uh, hard, hard right, hard right. Didn't mean to. <laughs> yes, sorry. Um, but anyway. <laughs> so, both. So really in sad. 1985... Uh, we were like, we got together. Yeah, so there's this group of women, and they're like, we got to fix this. What are we going to do? And Ellen said, nobody takes women seriously in the party, in the Democratic Party, because they don't can't raise any money. And so the woman Isn't comes into town. Isn't that interesting that in the Republican like, Party, they, so the Republicans had had one get yeah, elected? Yeah, they had, but it's like one. Okay, So one. they're not in much But they had still been shape. ahead of us for a little bit, but they only were, by one. Yeah, yeah, they were actually almost equal with us. Just in other equal. Words, no, only one. No, women just weren't. And we had our first action <laughs> committee, like, cool. faster, which is cute. Not that it's a race. So, like, whatever. Yeah, but yay for Emily's List, but that's how it started. That's that's right. And they got together and said, what are we going to do? We got to get some money to these candidates, like, all three of them, because there's not that many women running. It's 1985. And they decided to take – it's kind of, like, hilarious in hindsight because there's no email, right? Right. There's no internet. So they grab all of their Rolodexes, to use an old term that nobody uses anymore, and they brought all these lists in, and they mailed all their friends with a stamp, you know, and they they had these, like, mailing parties where they were stuffing envelopes, and they're saying, please join Emily's List for $100, and we will go try to find some women to run for office and commit to two $100 checks to those candidates. That was it. That was the whole deal. And with that money, the first round— Emily's List elected Barbara Mikulski, the first Democratic woman ever to win a seat in the United States Senate in her own right. Oh my in God, 1986. I love that. That's what happened. That's the whole beginning. That's amazing. So, what role did Emily's List play in 18? It was gigantic. We're very busy. We were very busy. So, you know, 30 years later, fast forward, we've been recruiting women, training women, training staff, funding races, I mean, to the tunes of millions of dollars in some cases. So 
I got to sort of flashback a little bit. So 2016 happens. We won't go into that because that's also a sad story. Well, if you want to do a quick flashback <laughs> into it, if you want to picture me, it's like 10 o'clock West Coast time, oh, Los Angeles. Oh. I had just got back from this viewing party. I rolled the biggest, fattest joint I've ever seen in my whole life. And on the way home, I um, called this guy and I was like, and he was like, don't worry. Like when you wake up, like it, it'll be like a President Clinton. I was like, no, you're so wrong. Like you're in New York. You don't even understand. Like you have been asleep. You're not watching the news. And then I went and I got the everything in the kitchen sink or whatever that ver- that ice cream is, that Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Mm-hmm. And then I listened to the soundtrack from Waitress and I cried and smoked a joint. No, and you went listened yeah, to Waitress? Waitress and I just like, helping. and I ate an entire pint of ice cream and just like cried and watched myself cry whilst like smoking a joint and eating ice cream for like an entire hour and a half. Mm-hmm. That that was what I, that, that wasn't a short right. flashback, but that's, that's essentially what happened. That sounds right. Well, that entire time I was at the Javis Center no, in New York No, I can't City. even drive past it anymore. I get I really dev. I get I really devastated. Either, you know, like that's where it was supposed to be and it was oh I oh my god yeah it's really it can't even it was terrible but so 16 happened so 16 happened and I was I mean needless to say Emily's List very committed to electing the first woman president didn't happen we might have been curled up in a fetal position behind our desk or at least I was for a little bit and instantly something happened like instantly so we have spent decades can i ask you one women, more question oh yes of I'm, course. So, I'm, no. I'm sorry to like i'm sorry to like no, and i want to hear the okay. rest of it and i know and I, I really really do but it's like what do you think i, I just got to interview tammy baldwin about mm. uh, about a lot of things and basically she said like in 2016 she was like at the end of the day 2016 like people did not get out to vote and in 2018 I think we saw that that we, in, at least in this midterm, like we corrected that. But Historic. what are the hard lessons that you took away from 2016 in your position uh, that you successfully implemented in 18, but we can make sure that we implement for 2020 so we don't have a election of bystanding? Yeah, and I think Senator Baldwin was exactly right. Turnout matters. Elections matter. And if people go out and vote... Frankly, if people go out and vote, Democrats win. That's actually, there are more of us than the other side. Uh, And so we just have got to do that. And we did not have the turnout we needed. Now, that being said, Hillary Clinton did win the popular vote by 3 million. I like to remind everybody of that. And we had a problem in three states. Uh, Some of it was voter suppression. Uh, Some of it you could argue on campaign tactics. Some of it was just like a bad wave that came up against us in Pennsylvania. So it was really hard. But I think the most important lesson is people have to vote. And for organizations like ours, we have to continue that energy. And that sort of gets me back to exactly that story is I think what happened that night as women uh, and so many of us across the country were watching this happen, even women who maybe didn't love Hillary Clinton, but they thought she was going to win. And then all of a sudden, that guy wins. And they're like, what the hell is going on? I have to do something. So while you're eating ice cream and I'm probably drinking wine and laying in a fetal position, there are women across this country who started calling Emily's list immediately and were like, I need to run for office. Now, November after an election year, nobody wants to run for office. They're like, take me on vacation, turn off the ads, don't call me anymore, I'm done. Within four weeks, we had over 1,000 women call us and email us saying, I have to run for office. Wow. Uh, Yeah. And the whole two years before, which was a pretty good cycle for us at Emily's List, we talked to 920 in a two-year period. So from 16 to 18, or no, excuse me. From from 15, through 15 and 16, those two years, 15 (gasps) and 16, 920. And in four weeks. Over 1,000. So that's major. It's 
45,000 now. now 45,000 women who want to run for office. Oh, shit. 45,000. Oh I just got such chills that <laughs> went know. over my head. That's more than Isn't in my hometown. Amazing? Yeah, it's more than my hometown. I love that. It's twice my hometown. No, it's amazing. So that it's leads amazing. me to my next question. Which so that's is really... 18. Like, boom, here come the women. Yes, yes. So this is my, <laughs> this basically leads me into the question for the whole episode, which is like, how engaged do we need to be with 2020? Keep it coming. And to right? me, Keep it coming. this is even more consequential than midterms, especially because um, of the Senate. And we have a much yes. better chance of of taking the Senate in 2020. It's like a much, it's a more favorable map, it seems, than it was in 2018. That's correct. Absolutely. And obviously, you know, we, we did the House, but, um, you know, we're a little bit more than, we're like a year and like six months, six months away. So, well, a little bit more, but yep. Um, but how it's engaged do we need to be? How? Uh, what is Emily's list doing? What can it's we exciting. do? What's happening? It's a, well. We have to be very strategic about this. Now, the, the one of the reasons we took the house back, uh, and I, we did this at Emily's list. I went to leader then leader Pelosi. I love her name change. Then leader Me Pelosi too. about yeah. a year ago and said. Hey, we're going to take the house back. She's like, yes, we are. I'm like, no, I mean, we, Emily's list. We're going to deliver 24 women for you. And she was like, great. Like, good luck. It was very sweet. And that's exactly what we did. We targeted. We looked at which districts. We found the great candidates who could do that work. The Abby Finkenauers, the Lauren Underwoods, the Sharice Davis. The list goes on and on. And we got the resources behind them, the energy around them. They themselves were extraordinary candidates with authentic natural stories that that just tied them to their communities. So what do we do? We won 2020. We got to take the Senate back. We do the same thing. We go into Maine, Kentucky, North Carolina, Iowa, uh, Colorado, Texas, Georgia, Arizona, and we find the best candidates we can. I think women are really being received well as candidates right now. We take advantage of that. There's so much energy around women, particularly by folks on the ground. Let's find those candidates, and then we've got to get them. And we're in the process. We're talking to a lot of women. Uh, then we got to get them funded. We got to get support around them, and we got to get energy on the ground. And that's the Senate. And if that energy is built out around the House again, while the Democrats are having, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about this, but the Democrats are having this big primary at the presidential level. We have a year before those caucuses start to get our get our house in order when it comes to everything down ballot. So find good candidates, get behind them, give them a little bit of money, start local everywhere. Let's make this happen. Now, a place where I learned when um, I learned about state legislatures with uh, Sister District last year, oh, and sister love district. Sister District oh, too. They're so good. They and, did. Oh, they're so good. And but one thing that she really taught me that I really kind of had taken my eye off the ball is like the role that state legislatures can play in like protecting us from like uh, overreaching federal government and uh, um and with all sorts of different things. I think that that was one thing where like I mean obviously like Barack love you so much but I think that that was one place where democratic leadership especially from 2008 to 16 not that he wasn't like squelching a massive economic crisis and dealing with like so he, he really, had some problems he had some major when he problems. came in like things were bad but I definitely like <laughs> didn't understand the importance of state legislatures until we lost 1900 seats in mm-hmm. that 2010 midterm and I didn't understand the importance Brutal. of that night until like last October when I interviewed you know the good the good people at, at, at uh, sister district so it's like um elections are so important, but it's like state legislatures are like so important. So from your perspective of, you know, being the president of Emily's, it's like, is it more important to start with like your local and then work up? Or is it more important to start with like the big and work down? I think right now we should all start local. 
I think we should get engaged locally because I think what that will do is drive energy that will drive votes out that will take you up the ticket. Like the presidential is going to drive a lot of energy and vote. That's true. But for organizations like like mine and sister district we work really closely with or, or Higher Heights or the Democratic Legislative uh, Campaign Committee, all these entities – we're we're also focused on hundreds and hundreds of legislative seats, uh, and also we should you know don't District overlook cities. Is- I was going to say DAs, city councils, school boards. I mean, how many conversations have you had? Because I have them all the time. That we need civics back in the classroom. Well, that. It's going to depend on who wins school board elections. They're going to make those decisions. And so how do we get as many candidates in Mm. those races and then drive those? And when you're pulling out votes, you know, even – and this is the one other thing we always forget about. Let's say you're sitting in – and you're from this part of the country. You're in a red part of the country in a red county where there's a Republican legislator and a Republican congressman because they're all congressmen over there practically Mm -hmm. and a Republican senator. But underneath, you're a Democrat. And you're running for city council and you have the opportunity to drive out votes for that city council. Maybe there's no other Democrats around, but the Democrats you drive out are going to vote up ticket, which will help the Democrats district wide. We forget about that. Like we need candidates to run everywhere, even when it's hard. And so I just urge folks to really think about that and do that work locally. Um, because I think we make a huge difference in yeah. these legislatures. I have a whole – we can talk about legislatures. The other thing we should talk about is redistricting. Oh, yeah, in which comes which from censuses, other- right? Yes. So big thing about to happen, 20, you know, 2020, there's our – the United States doesn't recensus every 10 years. Lord knows what's going to happen under this administration, and if well, the, the Supreme, census or that one is court be just okay. rejected the citizenship Correct. question. Correct. Now it's going to go up to the United States Supreme Court. They rushed it. We've got to see what happens. I've got to believe. I hope I like my fingers are crossed. I'm my eyes are closed. I'm praying that this the court ensures that that citizenship question is off because we're really afraid that particularly in the Hispanic community, folks are going to be really afraid. Well, yeah. Well, frankly, they're going to be afraid. ICE anyway. has arrested more people in the last like six months than they have. It's like it's really this is terrifying for so many reasons. For so many reasons, and so the census just determines you know the population and where everything. At, and then the legislatures in most states are going to draw the lines, not just for Congress, which is huge, but also for themselves. The state legislatures. The state legislatures draw those lines in most states. This is our last election, 2020, to get as many Democratic chambers in order before they draw the lines. So that's this why it's huge. so important. This is huge. That's why 2010 ended up being such a disaster for Democrats. Because Republicans got to draw the districts. They got to draw the districts. It killed us. So if you're thinking about running for office, how does one start a campaign? Like, how do you, if you're, a, I mean, how did like Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez do it? Like, how do we, like, how do you become how AOC? You that's right. Um, I mean, here's the first you got to decide to do it. And figure out what you're running for. Oh, um, wait, stand by. Oh, really quick break. We'll yes. be right back with more Getting Curious after Don't this. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. We are here with the president of Emily's List, Stephanie Shriok. Uh, we were just saying, like, if you're, like, on the fence, if you're, like, but okay, I've decided mm-hmm. I want to run. Fabulous. First thing you got to decide is where you're running. 
Because so that's actually a real question. And what we get at Emily's List, I just you know, I said earlier, 45,000 women have said, I want to run. Most of them don't actually know where they're going to run and what they're going to run for. So figure out where you can make the most difference, what you're passionate about, where that where that just feels good. Because you you got to sell it, right? You're going to have to go out there. You're going to have to be real with people. So you, so you want to be part of the community. Then, you know, contact organizations like Emily's List, uh, and there's a lot of others, but, I mean, we've been doing this a long time, and we can give the basic playbook of what you need to do, which is you got to file for office, which means you're going to go door to door and get petitions probably. Simple, easy to do, just it's, it's like a puzzle. You just got to put the pieces together. You're going to need some money. We actually have things on our website at emilyslist.org that you can use to learn how to do quick fundraising phone calls. I mean, sometimes if you've never fundraised before, it's daunting. Yeah. It's scary, right? I mean, you're going to ask somebody for money. Here's the thing. You're asking them for an investment in the future. That's it. That's what you're doing. And we'll even run through practice sessions on webinars to help you do that. Uh, quick, quick lesson. After you ask for money, wait mm. and count to seven mm. and let the person answer. There you go. There's my little tip for the day. So often people will ask, you know, Jonathan, I'd like you to invest in Emily's list. Will you give us $1,000? Sure. See? Yeah. Excellent. But if you don't give them an opportunity to answer. If you just keep talking You at keep them. talking over it. Yeah. You just talked over your Because you're ask, nervous. And they're like. I'm just going to let them talk out and yeah. I'm not going to answer. Uh, so, <laughs> so, yeah, we don't want to do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Got to give them the, the second to wait. You got to give them the second. A hundred percent. There's a little tip. And so, do, so it's like it's little lessons. So it's the fundraising. It's the community. It's starting to meet the community. If it's a local office, you're going to hit the doors. You're going to go knock on doors and talk to your neighbors. And that matters so much. And the best part of that, I think, is you really get to know the people in your community. It's a really positive experience. Win or lose, you are going to come out knowing so much more and being closer to your community than you can ever imagine. And I'm sure that you met a lot of women who, like, were underdog candidates, didn't think that they could, didn't think they would, and then they definitely did. Absolutely. And that list is is long. I mean, just just to name a few. I mean, it's right at the top. I sat with Elizabeth Warren before she decided to run for the Senate. And just walked her through everything about running for office. Because think about this. She became a United States Senate. I do not recommend this for everybody. But she that was the first campaign she ran for, like U.S. Senate. Wow. And she had never thought Has she been a professor it. before that? She'd been a professor. And then she was brought in by the Obama administration to set up the Consumer Protection Bureau because of her work in the academic side of right. things. Right. And so now we're looking at her going, so we'd like you to run for the U.S. Senate. And she's like, are you crazy? Are you crazy? And we're like, no, we think you can do it. And you've got the profile and we will help you and we will help you find the money and we will help you find the staff. And if you say you're running, I will have staff there tomorrow. And she's like, I got to take my grandkids to Legoland. And I said, I think that's fair. Yeah. Do that and then call me and we will have staff when you're ready. You know, so there's there's folks like that. There's There are folks who – didn't ponder running at all before 2016. Lauren Underwood, uh, she's a extraordinary uh, new congresswoman from Illinois' 14th congressional district, African-American nurse with a pre-existing condition, showed up at her congressman's town hall in 2017 and said, 
I really need you, Congressman, to protect pre-existing conditions. Do you promise me? And he did. Promise. And then he went back to Washington and he voted to get rid of the coverage on pre-existing conditions. She went, no, I'm running. I'm taking that guy down. And she jumped in, and then we started putting the pieces together. So, and she won. And she won. She's in Congress, and her, and she's in Congress with her now housemate Katie Hill, who came in from California, who um, who just had been in uh, public service, did a lot of work with the homelessness uh, problem, which is, as you know, massive in Southern California, and just decided she had to do something else. And so she ran as an underdog and came up and beat Steve Knight, uh, which was extraordinary. So there's some really great, great stories. And there's definitely a way if you have, if you, there's a way to do it, like you can do it, which leads me to to the next piece. So that's the election stuff. Um, The next thing that I kind of want to talk about that, you know, I think everyone's really worried about is like Planned Parenthood. And um, it seems to me that Donald Trump is really honing in on his ability to use like his religious right base to spread fake information to really put like women's health at risk. If you look at um, what was going on before Roe v. Wade, there were women, like you could only get like abortions like in California or like New York City. So as we saw in that one documentary on Netflix, um, it's I think it's called Roe v. Wade, right? Yeah. So, um, but it's like you would have to get on a plane if you were like in oh, yeah. Arkansas or whatever to go get an abortion, but so many women couldn't afford a plane ticket. And so that's why we saw so many women dying from you know, like alleyway, backyard, like things that just, it's yeah. not healthcare. And women's yeah right to healthcare when it comes to their body is constitutionally protected. It's like predetermined as it was like Roe v. Wade. It's it, but it is very much under threat right now. And I think that, um, one piece of misinformation that the Trump administration loves to use and like Republicans in the house and Senate love to use is that Planned Parenthood takes federal, you know, tax dollars and they use it to, you know, uh, do abortions. There is that, the hut, there's that act, the, the Hyde amendment, the Hyde amendment that makes it so that that from, Happening. So the so Planned Parenthood cannot take tax dollars to do abortions. Also, which is correct, they need the and they need those tax dollars because they to do ensure cancer screenings, STD and ba- testing, yes, basic health care for women, <clears throat> Pap smears. But I in mean, the face of antibiotic resistance, needs, huge. but like in the face of like antibiotic resistance, like there is so many things. There are. So many STDs that really pose actual threats. Yes. Syphilis is skyrocketing. HIV uh, because of the prep is so it, prep is good and it's helping, but also in in women, new HIV infection rates are coming up. That's right. Planned Parenthood needs. This is not about abortion. No. This is about healthcare and 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 there are places in this country, like in Kentucky, where there's like one abortion clinic left. That's right. And these are also coincidentally the states that have state legislatures that have been so restrictive and have had their the religious base does turn out to vote. It does. Um, and I think that because they're oppressive and they they they, they oppress, uh, you know, more marginalized communities, the marginalized community feels like they don't have, like they, nothing's going to change, so why vote? You also have voter suppression in those same places like, uh, you know, like Alabama, if you were convicted of a felony, you can't vote. That's right. Um, and because Ever. of like the messed up marijuana laws and, and how people were prosecuted, now 30% of Alabama adults can't vote. That's right. Um, so there are real threats to, you know, women's access to healthcare, especially in the states like, you know, Alabama, Kentucky, Arkansas, um, Texas, Mississippi, Mississippi. Down to one clinic. Texas has lost 
a huge number of clinics. I mean, there are some women who have to drive literally three, four hours and then something goes wrong or the appointment gets canceled and then they got to go back and they find they just can't do it. Uh, it is – there is a – I mean, Trump is right. There is a crisis in the country, but the crisis in the country is driven by him, and it is on reproductive health care rights. I mean, women right now in this country should be scared to death about what is going on. And and right now, it just depends – your rights depend on your zip code. Yeah. That's it. That's not who we are. That's not how this should be. And and Trump – I mean, here's the thing. He told us what he was going to do. He told us in the the campaign that he was going to get rid of Roe v. Wade and criminalize women if they got abortions. I mean, he he made that pretty clear, and everybody sort of looked over it. But the truth is that's what he's doing. And it is so, so dangerous. Uh, It is dangerous to women's health. But it's also a massive economic issue. If women can't decide— you know, when they're going to have children and what's best for their families, then the entire economic future for those families are at stake. Therefore, our country's economy is at because stake. Because you it's can't a say to mistake. a woman like, oh, go deliver the baby and put it up for adoption because adoption also isn't free. Like you That's have to right. have like – you have to know how to navigate that system to even like give well, your right. child like it – right? Like yeah, am oh, I no, making it's that very, – I mean, it's, all, it's all very complicated and the systems aren't set up. I mean I love – Republicans really, really care so much about about – you know, everything that happens up to birth and cares nothing about after birth. Yeah, they don't want to invest in schools, don't want to invest in health care for children. I mean, all of that is outrageous. But Which leads me back to my initial point. But they are lying about what's going on right now. They are lying about what's going on. So how do we combat that? Like with Emily's, it's like, how do we combat this fake news? And how do we like, there's such a hubble of, of, you know, at the federal level of like with Mueller and like everything that happened with Cohen and there's just so much to fret about. But, like, the first thing that Donald Trump did was, like, he took away, like, all the aid that we used to give to, like, foreign developing countries that they, like— The very first order was on this internationally. Which is— reinstated the gag order internationally. It's really, really dangerous. And we have to remember, we are on the right side here. And I don't mean just right because it's morally right. We are also on the politically right side of here. Over 7 out of 10 Americans believe in Roe v. Wade and think it should stand as law. That is a massive majority. So why we're letting a minority of Americans drive the entire policy? Which is, is literally from religious it. objection. It is. And same it's, thing it's, with with exactly. like gay marriage. It was religious objection, right? And this is going to get tied together. By the way, it's going to get. You know, everybody's talking about abortion now, but if we if we think gay marriage is going to be okay, uh, uh-uh, it's coming next. They're going to tie this all together, and and the truth is, this is about freedom. This is about choice. This is about Which is staying so in Republicans my... are the tenet of uh, uh, tenets of the Republican Party sure. of like, of, but in it, theory, but, it but is. originally it was it was like smaller government and not having was. government overreach. Yeah, well, was it Gloria Steinem? I think it said. I don't want to misquote her. I think it was her. It was like they want to make government so so tiny they can put it in my vagina. Ugh. Get out of my vagina. I know. There you go. So that it is it is outrageous what's what's going on because they do the, for some reason you know Republicans can talk all about freedom and then take it away from women and the LGBTQ community and African Americans like it's freedom for one group of people well, and this is what we have to fight against because that's not that's not who we want to be. Well, as when Americans. we think of like seven to, seven of ten Americans support Roe v Wade, so I think it's like. 
is the question, do we try to convince the other three of 10 that they should also, or do we just make sure that those seven get out to vote? We need to make sure those seven get out to vote. That is exactly what we need to do. Okay, standby. We have to take a really quick break. We'll be right back with more Getting Curious after this. I... Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. Welcome back, Stephanie Shriak, the president of Emily's List, Thank the you. nation's largest, most powerful women's organization for politics. Honey, I love that title so much. It's so major. Um, so anyway, is it about changing the hearts and minds of the three out of the ten, or is it about making sure that the seven come out to vote? Is I think where we left off. It is, and the truth is, it's about the seven. Get the seven out to vote. We will win. Just think. If all 70% went out and voted, we're going to win everything. Like, simple math. So we got to do it. we got to do it. Where do you, um, as, you know, you're someone who's heading up, like, a major organization that, you know, is in this field. Like, where do you go to get your information about, like, what messed up votes people are doing? And, like, because I think one way that we can really keep tabs to, like, get people out of there is, like, when you know, like, the rep in Illinois who went back and said, yeah, I'll protect you and then went and voted against it. Like, because it, that's it's so much information. Like, I tried to read so this bill about. Um, I tried to read this bill about. Uh, oh my God, what was it? My dad was like, "Oh well, in the midst of all of this, they passed like comp or they passed like reform on." I think um, it was criminal justice well, reform. Say, it was a criminal justice reform bill. And reading they just, bills are daunting. Good for you. Well, they just passed <laughs> it. was a criminal justice reform bill, but it basically like yeah. it seemed like all it was was like just bringing like you know. Yeah de-escalation policies to, like, making that mandatory for you to have to, like, read it. But it wasn't, like, you know, getting rid of mandatory minimums or, like, really right. doing the hard work that criminal justice no, reform needs. Not. It didn't broach any it's of that. It's either a Band-Aid or it's or it's It was, or like, a de-escalation. Sounds, or like, even worse, it sounds like it's going to be good and then underneath it's terrible. Right? Or it it's sounded like, like something that should have been going on anyway. That's Well, that's true. In this case. That uh, is very true. And there's a lot of that. I mean, it depends on the issue, but I, you, I would say we were talking about reproductive rights. And Narrow Pro-Choice America does a phenomenal job of just tracking what's happening at the legislative level because we are losing so much ground rapidly at the legislative level, which is why in 2018 it was so important for Democrats to pick up seven chambers so we can stop that stuff. And it's not just on reproductive rights. It is on LGBTQ rights. It's on environmental uh, Lots justice. Of environmental stuff oh my gosh, right it's now. on criminal justice, it's on education, it's on the economy, it's on regulations that are helpful for business. All of these things are happening at the legislative level. And on the Republican side, they have been so dark about it that, you know, they the Koch brothers funded ALEC, and ALEC is a national organization that literally writes out bills to they did this the stand your ground bill as Ugh, an example Alec did of, that. yes and they said here just mr legislator because again most of them are men on the republican side just take this here's the language and run it through and they did and they've done that on on school choice and education and not in a good way and privatizing education and school choice which have been devastating in florida the the gun laws have been devastating cuz oh guess what nra and the and the gun, gun companies have funded alec over the years i mean so you can just see how this money and we also comes see together that the stand your ground laws like make gun violence worse in those areas it makes gun but it also does. makes gun sales go up like i feel like cuz it makes you feel like more secure about it it's like obviously 
Like right. that makes sense. Which of course doesn't that make sense? Gun gun companies fund Alec. Alec writes the bill. They put the bill. People decide they can buy more guns, and so ha huh, profit circle. Like that's so much of what they're doing. On our side, uh, we've got we're I'm, we just are a little bit behind on this, partially because we believe in democracy and we believe in good people coming together and coming up with good solutions. Whereas the other side has been top down. You do this. We funded you. You do this. And we still believe in democracy. And I don't want to be a party that doesn't believe in democracy. That's really important. Uh, but we do have organizations. There's one called six now, uh, six, uh, S I X T I think it is. Uh, they are doing more and more legislative work on the progressive value side of things, which is great. And Emily's List works with all of these organizations uh, to just try to get good information to to our women on the ground and to the good men that stand by those women. So, ninety two, taking a right, taking a left. So Roe v. Wade was like nineteen seventy three, seventy three, seventy three. Yeah, because I to age myself in this room. I was also born in 73, two months after Roe. Oh, my God. Well, I know. Yay. It's, um, I know. I kind of like that. Yeah, it's great. Um, <laughs> it's like but, I feel like we share. But in 92, a lawsuit freedom. did get up to the Supreme Court. And I yes. feel like – and, and everyone thought that that was going to be like the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And Sandra Day O'Connor was like the swing vote that made it stand, but it gave states a caveat to like make you listen to the heartbeat, make you look at pictures, make you have like a cooling off period. Yada, it allowed yada. an opening to the chipping away of Roe. That's yes. exactly right, um, which was which has been really devastating in a lot of ways. Now, for 10 years after that ruling, there actually wasn't that much – movement. And and part of it was that because, you know, seven out of 10 Americans believe in Roe and just believe that women should have access to, you know, to safe abortion care if they need it, if they choose to have it, folks sort of just let it be on both sides of the aisle, to be honest. Even the anti-choice folks in the Republican Party weren't pushing as hard. Uh, But then we got into, you know, the 2000s, sort of mid-2000s, and all of a sudden we started seeing this change in who was getting elected uh, that really came to light in a big way when the Tea Party of 2010 came in. And that's when we saw the massive increase to all of those laws, the waiting periods, the you know, hallways have to be a very specific size or you can't have an abortion clinic there or you have to be attached to a hospital. Um, and all of these things individually sound like, oh, you're making things safer. But the truth is, it is a safe procedure. It is health care. In other countries, it is just part of women's health care. That's all it is. And they are making it with so many obstacles. And let's keep in mind, you can't wait forever for an abortion. There is a time limit on this situation, and they're just trying to wait women out and force women to have, you know, to have unwanted um, pregnancies or to have unwanted babies. And it's like, this is such, it's just, if we just would step back and trust women, like, why don't we just trust women? Why do we think we should legislate healthcare decisions on anything? Because it comes down to religion. Like it it comes because, because, and sexism. And what should women be doing? But even women, even there are women in my Family who are pro-life that do not believe they believe it is murder. They don't believe it has anything to do with religion. They believe that it is murder. And that to me is 
really so much of where the problem is because like even if that is your belief, if you believe that that is murder, it is still a religious one. Yeah. Like like you're getting that from like a book that you read, you know, the Bible or whatever, and that's not what our country was founded on. Right. And it's just not the case. Like I'm much more concerned of the beating heart of the woman that made a fucking zygote in there. Right. You know? Yeah. Um there's a and but that to well, me is and it's also about you know securities of family and economics and and the future of your communities and families being able to to make choices and a lot of families like they can only have I mean the truth is it's expensive to have lots and lots of children and thankfully, particularly because of President Obama and the ACA, increased access to birth control has has decreased the numbers of unwanted pregnancies, which means we're increase or decreasing, excuse me, decreasing unwanted pregnancies and decreasing you know, abortions because women have control early. Give women control. Let them make the decisions. And it's Frankly, not criminal. Like this- it's not. And abortions will just go down because there won't be as many unwanted pregnancies. And if and there will still be some. And then let women decide what they're going to do. And it's your it's a choice. You can be pro pro life as they would refer to themselves. Um, fine. Don't have an abortion. For yourself. For yourself. Right. That's okay. And I also think that That's it, completely okay. But, but also, other folks need to be able to make the decisions that are best for them. Uh, and again, wh- why are we determining healthcare rules by the government? Like, yeah, I don't they want should the not government be between. to tell, tell me what to do with my health. And That's Republicans, very dangerous. And Republicans on paper, theoretically, wouldn't want the government between you and your doctor either. But the Republicans have found that their religious charged right will turn out to the polls if they right. make this an issue. And because for so many of those people, they if their daughter or their sister gets pregnant, they can put them on the plane to California or they can put them on the plane to Chicago or Miami. And we or, hear about this happening. It happens all the all time. The time. Like, a lot of those really and pro we just life don't women talk that, about it. That, that you know, but that's you know, and you know what? That's their choice. Like there you go, that's their choice. Um, but here's here's the sort of other part of this is that because they, particularly Trump and Republican leadership, lie about this and make it. I mean, they're they are absolutely lying now, particularly as it relates to some of the more recent rhetoric because they're trying to gin up about what Planned Parenthood or no about the, really about the late term. They're talking about the oh, late yes. term abortions. Has that been um, talking about a lot again? Less than one percent. It's less and than one percent because someone is about to die. I yes, mean, these are very specific incidences. Um, but they're doing it for political purposes. They're using health care of women and their families for political purposes in a very, very dangerous way while they're taking away choice underneath of everybody. But here's here I want a little good news on the back end of all of this. So while they're doing that, independent women in this country you sort of left of center Republican women in this country they do not want – one, they think this is decided law because it is that they have choices available to them because they do, and they do not want to lose it. So as they're ginning up the right, we are ginning up the rest, and we're going to get those seven. They can have their three. We're going to get those seven out of ten to come out and vote, and that's why I think we're going to have a historic turnout. And if this is the game he's going to play, while well, Democrats are going to focus on economic opportunities – 
and on ensuring that everybody's got a bright future. That's what we're going to focus on. We're going to win this election because he's just going to try to divide and conquer again. And I think we are just above that now. So for our last two minutes, because I worry that we are not above it, to be very frank, I worry that we are not above it. I worry that when they go low, we go high. I worry it doesn't work. I worry a lot. <laughs> um, I have a lot of worries. Um, it's so fair. That, but, it's a but good one, democratic thing to do. But one we, thing that I'm learning worry. is is that I talk to a lot of people on this podcast that have affected change in huge ways. Yep. Huge ways. What they all started, though, in common was is that it started much closer to them. The, the choices that they made at the beginning in 85, it was much smaller choices than getting, you know, 45,000 women wanting to run for office. Right. It all started with a smaller, more local choice. So it is today, I know that this might fuck up the chronology, the chronology of how we do this podcast, but right now today it is March 10th, 11th, March 11th. March 12th already. It's March 12th. Oh my gosh, it's March 12th already. It's, it's March 12th, it 2019. Yep. We have like a year and six months before yep. 2020. That's right. What are like three concrete things we can do in two minutes or less because I've already made you late. Um, <laughs> what are like three concrete things we can do or two, whatever you right. come to your mind, that we can really do to get actively engaged and keep our keep our eyes and ears open to what the problems are facing us for the next year and six months? Okay. One, adopt a candidate or two. And whether that is a local candidate, a legislative candidate, a, a member of Congress, adopt a candidate or two, preferably two, and make a contribution. Maybe become a sustainer. $5 a month for Lauren Underwood right now for the rest of the way, you can handle $5 a month. That is going to make a huge difference. So adopt a candidate or two financially. Number two, figure out how you can best affect organizing in your own community. You don't have to, if you, you know, you don't have to go somewhere else, do it in your backyard. What does that mean? Go find an organization that's doing community work and is involved in elections and need needs that kind of help. Join the, join the Democratic Party. I know folks are a little shaky on the party right now. Well, I'll tell you what, this is a two-party system and the Democrats are our hope. And I, I'm a Democrat and I'm a proud Democrat, but we are fighting against a Republican Party who wants to take down this country. And honestly, Trump wants to take down democracy. So we are up against it. So find a way to engage locally in your, in your government. And then seriously, think about running for office. You don't have to run for Congress. You don't have to run for Senate. But maybe see legislatures, yeah. Maybe a legislative seat. Maybe the parks board. County commissioner. Maybe a county commissioner. Yep. Think about how else you can serve. Maybe it's a neighborhood association. I know that sounds crazy, but all of this matters because the truth is those decisions are all about democracy and getting involved. And once somebody starts at that level, those are the ones who move up. I mean, Senator Maggie Hassan of New Hampshire – you know, she was a mom taking care of her kid who has a major disability, and she got involved with – because it's personal, right? Do something that's personal to you. That's going to make the most difference. She just wanted to help families out who were in her same situation, and from there, she went to an Emily's List training. She ran for state senate. She won. She lost. That's okay. We convinced her afterwards to run for governor. She became governor. Ugh. She's now a senator. And she just started as a mom with a kid who needed help. So basically, to recap that, three things. Adopt two candidates. Yes. I would really encourage you guys to make one of those a DA because who knew that DAs were so powerful? Start local. It's They're so amazing. major. Yes. So uh, adopt two candidates. Second is or, find, join an organization in your backyard. Yes. 
uh, that that kind of spoke back to what we were also talking about, which is great. And then third is like consider running for office. That's right. Get down with your bad self. Uh, and if and and you could almost merge two and three if you're not going to run. See who you could support locally if it goes you past could. like adopting them. If maybe they need a campaign person or a canvasser or whatever. That's right. Stephanie Shriok, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your tireless work. Um, if you want yeah. to uh, stay up to date with what Emily's List is doing, where do we go? What do we do? Uh, Emily'sList.org. Uh, Check it all the time because I'm telling you, we've got candidates that are coming up all the time. And these extraordinary women, they're so brave. They have such amazing stories. They are changing the world every day. And we need to get them some reinforcements. Ugh, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for Emily's List. And thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. My guest this week was Stephanie Shriok. You'll find links to her work and to Emily's List socials in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JVN, but more importantly, follow Curious with JVN on Instagram and Twitter. It's our new social media, honeys. We're going to be doing behind the scenes. We're going to be doing continued development of all the past subjects that we've covered. It's going to be really great. We're so excited about it. So definitely follow us there. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoy our show, honey, introduce your mom or your friend or your Aunt Linda who votes for Donald Trump who needs to hear about it, honey. Uh, show them how to subscribe. Getting Curious is produced by Cody Ziegler, Emily Bosick, Julie Carrillo, Ray Ellis, Colin Anderson, and me, Jonathan Van Ness. Consultant, Mary O'Hara, and our social media coordinator is Lara Naiman. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on Getting Curious. <laughs>